Hi, I'm Leanna Tankersley, and this is my podcast, Beginning Again. My dear friend, Elaine Hamilton, and I have cooked up a little something for you guys, but first, here's some background. In 2017, my marriage ended, and in 2019, Elaine's husband, Ken, unexpectedly passed away from a very aggressive form of cancer. Though we no longer live down the street from each other like we once did, Elaine and I have navigated these losses side by side. Elaine is a licensed therapist and the founder of thesoulcarehouse.com. She splits her time between Portland and San Diego, and I am in Central Virginia. We're on opposite sides of the country, but we're finding we have more to talk about than ever. Ooh, do we ever. Life, love, loss, the future... It's all on the table. We're wondering if you might be navigating some of these same topics yourself. So we thought we'd invite you to pull up a chair. So here's how bad things have gotten. (laughs) So I, you know, I'm here in Oregon. And so I go to the gas station. And in Oregon, you can't pump your own gas. I don't know why you're not allowed to pump your own gas. So I go to the gas station. I wait for a very long time for someone to come. seems like nobody's working there. But eventually somebody comes out after I start to, you know, grab the handle myself. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to do that for you. I'm like, great, great. I was hoping you would come. So he starts to pump the gas. I go into the store. I want to get a little something to drink. So And again, in the store, there's just shenanigans going on. There's a man trying to buy something. He doesn't have enough cash. He doesn't want to give the cashier any more money. They're sort of arguing about whether he can pay for what he wants to buy. And it's just like not going anywhere. They're sort of at a standoff. And I'm like, should I just put my drink down and go outside? I don't know what to do, but I'm thirsty. So I wait, 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 wait. So I fi- finally that gets resolved. I pay for my beverage. I go outside, I get in my car, and I start to drive away. I hear a bang. No. I'm like, <laughs> shit, what have I done? I jump out of the car, and this really lovely man comes running towards me. He says, it's okay, it's okay. It happens all the time. And I realize that I have driven away yep. with the hose from the gas pump still in my gas tank no elaine i i can't even i can't even believe i've done it i guess i assumed that since i was in the store for three days that that would have been care of things yes but Um, i didn't check i did not check so it was of course my fault that i had done it but i just I, I didn't even know these things were possible to do <laughs> yes. That, yes. that fortunately it tears away from the pump. So you don't actually take the whole pump with you, which was very relieving that I'm like, oh my gosh, have I broken the pump? What have I done? And this nice man, he just like stands there with me and he's like, you know, no, this happens all the time. They're actually made so that if someone does this, it breaks away and it's really easy for them to fix. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, how much money is this going to cost? I've created a lot of damage at the gas station. <laughs> I've now just, created an oil spill. Yeah, oil spill, <laughs> ruining the planet again. So he's the loveliest man. He starts telling me jokes to calm me down. He's like, just really, ma'am, it's okay. It really is okay. Please don't feel bad. So, and then filling out the paperwork took another three days. I was just like, I fill out paperwork? Yeah, yeah, because you've created an incident at 7-Eleven. You, you know, they have to have a trail of paperwork for these kinds of incidences. So no one has contacted me since I did it. So I don't know. It was just, it was just a few days ago. So we'll see, we'll see what happens, but 
I honestly was, was like, I've lost my mind. Like, how do you yeah. make a mistake like that? How well, do you? I'll tell you because I've done the exact same thing. Oh, really? yeah. oh my gosh, it's such a relief. But I was in graduate school. I was like in my oh, early mid twenties, and yeah, I you were twelve years old when you did. I wasn't. <laughs> but um, I was super stressed and super like I don't even have the excuse that someone else was was um, pumping my gas. I I was just yeah, you're like on another planet. Yeah. And I got in the car. I may have done the same thing, like gone inside to get a drink and maybe assumed or gone inside to go to the bathroom or something and then assumed that I had taken it out before I left. But I drove off. But I drove like, I mean, a bit. (laughs) (laughs) What is that noise? Not like on the freeway, but I mean, I drove like a while. And um, but then I realized what it was once I was like, what in the heck is that noise? And I look out my review mirror and I see that there's this thing connected to my car. Then I turn around and drive back to the gas station and take it out. And it's, and it, and then you realize, oh yeah, it, it detaches quickly. It's like an appendage that just releases. Uh, Well, they were real mortifying. I didn't have to do a paperwork trail, but um, that's extra mortifying. Yeah. I, they could not have been nicer to me. I just Good. was so Good. grateful because I felt intense shame about yes. my stupidity. And I mean, maybe in my defense, I'd had a hard day. I'd been crying most of the day because oh, <laughs> I was grieving. And I'd finally called somebody and said, can I come over? So I I was in the process of rescuing myself, but I was a bit of a wreck and then I was like, I can't, I can't even believe it. But it made for great. It was a great yeah. story by the time Heck I got yeah. to my sister-in-law's house. She was like, that's hysterical. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you know what? I just want to say that the staff at 7-Eleven, they were not, they were not helping you in this matter. They were not working in your favor here. <laughs> so I'm not saying that this is entirely at your feet. Okay. <laughs> let's just. Yeah. Let, let's give ourselves a little bit of a break. It was shocking that nobody had ever returned to take it out of my car. It, I mean, it was an excessively long time that I was in this store. <laughs> so, I anyway, but probably I'll never do it again. I'm guessing I will probably never make that. Yeah, mistake. I think that does help a person learn a lesson about that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> you probably won't, probably won't. But I mean, it's these are hard times, Elaine. Let's just like, times. these are really hard times. We're just going to give ourselves grace. Oh my gosh. Is there anybody out there who's ever done this before or something equally Ooh. as like, yes. you know, absent-minded? I also one time, um, this is, this was another like million years ago, but we get a knock on our condo that we were living in and it's the security guard from our condo complex. And he's like, um, is that your, is that your Honda pilot? down in the garage that's, that's running. And, um, and obviously he knows that's our car, right? He's like being a little bit (laughs) passive aggressive. Like this is the security guard for our building. Like he knows. Right. And Uh I was like, no, that couldn't possibly be ours because when I got home from work four hours ago, I turned it off and I came up here and started dinner. So that's, it was like 10 o'clock at night. Oh my God. And he's like, are you sure? Cause this is the license plate. And, and Steve was like, that's our car. So I go down there with them and the car had been, running. <laughs> I just, it's the same thing. It's like, we, we're carrying a lot, you know, we're we got a lot of, a lot. a lot of big ideas. We got a lot on our minds. And so, yep. yeah, I just, yep. I just left the keys in the car, left it running and walked upstairs and never looked back. <laughs> 
Well, you were prepared for a quick getaway if necessary. <laughs> See? Exactly. And that, and I didn't appreciate the attitude that the security guard took with me. Right. So, um, like nobody just, does that on purpose. Right. Right. He's like, could it, you know, is this your car? And it's like, well, obviously it's my car. I just open the door and turn it off and bring me the keys like a civil human being. <laughs> he had to kind of stick it to me, you know, he, he had to, he stick, had to it stick it to you. I don't like that. I'm over that. Oh, anyway, geez. this is very eventful. I, I've had nothing this exciting in, in the recent days. I have, <laughs> since the last time we spoke, my book has launched and that has been what I've been working on. So yeah, I'm, something will happen in the next few days. So it'll be like that where, you know, I just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I walk out of the house and every fire causing possibility is left on or, you know, right, something like right. that. Well, this is the thing we know, like if we, if we look at science, we know that like when people are under great deals of stress, their nervous systems are really ramped up and they can't pay attention to all the things because they're so distracted by whatever the stressor is. And people are more likely to get in more accidents. They're more likely to, you know, I don't know, do all kinds of things, right? It's like, we're going to do things that we would never do normally because we can't attend to everything when our nervous systems are over firing too much it makes sense and it's not like the news is settling down mm-hmm. it's not like we have reasons to take deep breaths right now yeah. so i think yeah. yeah that's a good that's good if any of you guys are finding yourselves kind of like hard to focus or you're forgetting things or <laughs> yeah driving away from the gas pump forget a child that. somewhere that happens <laughs> you know forget a child somewhere oh gosh Oh gosh. Oh jeez. Yeah, so that's part of it. That's part of the the nervous system. It's helpful. Yeah. Helpful. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by our upcoming women's retreat on Orcas Island, Washington. You guys, join Elaine and me and 18 other women in 40 acres of private woods overlooking Puget Sound for a weekend of reflection and discussion and really good food. I cannot overstate that. To learn more about our retreat or to register, go to soulcarehouse.com. And I'm telling you guys, you do not want to miss this. So do you want to talk a little bit about what has it been like to launch this book and to do 50 million interviews in the last couple of days? Yes, sure. Um, How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm tired today, but... I also feel pretty settled about how this is all gone. And, um, I feel like I've done the things that I wanted to do and the things that I kind of had control over, maybe say it that way, that I have done my best to show up and do in an authentic way. And then there's a lot of things you don't have control over. And so just kind of trying to remind myself to surrender those things, you know, and, um, so yeah, it's, it's a crazy process. As we discussed before in our last episode, you know, writing is one whole part of the process, but releasing is a whole nother part of the process. And, um, so you want to be able to talk about this book that you've spent so much time working on and you want to talk about it in these, like these short sound bites that make it sound really interesting, really compelling, really accessible, and like really relevant to someone's life. And so, 
And then you need to be able to do that over and over and over and over again, you know, and then you need to like, and then one of the things for me is like, it's really important to me to thank people when they share, they mention, or they post about the book. Like, I really want to go in as many as times as I can and thank those people. And so there's that component to it. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of writing and a lot of, I, t- I said before, before we hopped on here, you guys, I said to Elaine, I'm a little bit tired of hearing the sound of my own voice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, but that's part of it. And, and it's important though, I've learned through th- this whole, so many years of, of publication and releasing books, it is important. Like they always say that when the book right when the book comes out for most people, that's the first time they're hearing about it. For you as the author, you sort of feel like everyone's already moved on because you maybe have moved on to the next project already. It's maybe been a year since you finished it Um, or you are in a new place in your life or there's new things you're thinking about since you ended that book. That's less relevant for me at this point with this particular book, but I have had that in the past where I'm like really entrenched in the next project when the previous book comes out. And so I remember like my agent reminding me just because it's kind of old news to you for most people, it's the very first time they're hearing about it. So it's also learning, like, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to talk about it for a while. And, um, so just leaning into that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're talking about it because I think a lot of us need that information and, um, we need, we need to hear your process and we need to be a part of your journey because it's our journey too. Mm. And we need a guide through that journey. Um, last night, you guys, um, Leanna's uh, group held a, sort of like a little celebration party for her and everyone got on Zoom for a bit and each person gave a toast to her. And it was beautiful. I cried through the whole thing. Um, just everyone expressing their, um, just their excitement for you and how proud they were of you. And it was really beautiful to watch that. I, of course, was on the verge of ugly sobbing. In fact, maybe I crossed over into ugly sobbing. Couldn't even quite get it out. But <clears throat> I think the the message was so clear that like, they've been in the trenches with you and um, it means a lot when people have been in the trenches with you believe in your work, right? Like it's, that's a different thing, right? Like oftentimes people's relationship with each other is more like social and it's more personal or, or whatever. And there isn't always a real connection to the work that that person is putting out into the world. And it was just lovely to watch each of them express how proud they were of you and, how authentic your work is and how much they believe in you. It was really beautiful. Thank you. That was a highlight of my day. Um, you know, each person on that call has seen me at a rock bottom mm-hmm. and has been with me at, at just rock bottom. And so it was incredibly meaningful to celebrate. You know, to me, it's a collective celebration because all of you reached toward me when I was at my very worst and my very most vulnerable and kept reminding me of things that you saw in me and things that you, you believed were true of me. And in the truest sense held on to hope for me. And I think that in that way, I do feel like this book is as much a collective celebration as it is my own, because, you know, we can't, 
we can't often put beautiful things out into the world without a lot of support. And especially when we go through a trauma or a crisis, we need people around us to remind us that, you know, we're still in there somewhere in all the ashes, you know, we're still in there. And, um, this group of women, you included have done that for me. And so this book wouldn't have been possible without that. I think I could have just languished and languished, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I do feel strongly about sharing this book with people. And I feel sort of less apologetic about doing so because I think there's a lot of people that don't have a community surrounding them that reach toward them when they're in the ashes. And so I just want them to know that I want them to have some support when they're in that place, but it was a beautiful night. The toasts were just, I I don't know. They were, they were like gaudy in their Mm -hmm. gorgeousness. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. It just feels so good to, I have to say, because you're right, like this is all kind of inextricably linked, the book, but also my life and where yeah. I've been over yeah. the last few years. And so it was really, um, it was also a celebration of getting back on my feet and feeling like I'm in a very different place than I was even one year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And the relief of that and the gratitude that I feel for that. So yeah. it, it's a celebration all around, like, okay, yeah. we're we're making it. We're all going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was exciting. Well, and one of the things that um, you talk about in the book is this idea of um, abandoning yourself. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things that is as, as somebody who's watching you through this process, it's, it's something that I can see is like, oh, you are done doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, that was what I wanted to talk about a little bit today, because I think it's such an important concept. Um, just this one sentence that um, you said, you said, we, you do not need to spend any more time trying to get unavailable people to see you and love you. <laughs> and I just, you know, it just takes me back to like the millions of conversations I've had with clients over the years where we are trying you know, what can I do so that so-and-so will show up for me so that they'll love me so that they'll be present with me so that they'll meet my needs um, because I'm so desperate for them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love that this chapter is especially poignant, I think, because of that's a common, common thing, especially for women to do is chase after someone who isn't really available, um, And I think it's important to also talk about like, why do we do that? But I just sort of wanted to launch into that, that topic today about like, let's talk about what you've learned about abandoning yourself and how you got to a place where like, we are done with that. Man, this is the most present work. If I were to frame the work that I've done over the last few years in the healing, um, time after going through the divorce, I would say this is the most present work or this is, yeah, this is just the work that I feel like I have, I have been invited into most significantly in the last season. And that is what does it look like when I am abandoning myself? And what does it look like when I'm not? I think this is especially confusing for us as women because I, I believe culture really validates us as helpers. And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that in its purest form. Um, but when 
we are told that selflessness is our highest value and our highest, um, like what will, what will give us the most adulation as a woman that can get confusing. And I think we often confuse what being selfish or being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Boundaried. Mm, yeah. Look like. So if yeah. I'm boundaried and I'm saying I'm not going to abandon myself, that it's easy for people to look at that or, or to call that being selfish because I'm not caring about other people. Right. And then if I'm only if I'm caring about other people, then I am this super healthy person mm -hmm. and it's a false dichotomy. And so I, I guess that's one thing underneath all this that I think we, we as women have to kind of get clear on is that, um, is that staying with ourselves, coming home to ourselves, knowing who we are is not selfish. In fact, it often opens us up even more to love the people in our lives in a, in a healthier way. And, and that's what I'm, what I'm learning in my own life. And I think my own desire to be loved and seen, as you just said, it's very textbook and to not be abandoned by someone else has caused me over and over to say that the only way that's going to happen is if I totally abandon myself and what mm -hmm. I, there might be like this red light going on in, on my internal dashboard about some conversation or situation I'm in, but I will override it. I will distrust it in order to keep the other person in the conversation or situation comfortable yeah. or, um, you know, going as far as what the quote that you just read, I will, I will continue to chase after someone or look to someone for something that first of all, I, I can't ever really get from another human being, but especially will never be able to get from someone who is showing me and telling me in their own way over and over again, that they're absolutely unavailable. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think I'm getting better at knowing when I'm overriding this part in me. That's like, I'm getting uncomfortable. This is not good for me. Mm -hmm. This is, this is not in line with who you are and your values and your care for yourself. I'm getting clear when that alarm bell starts going off and, um, it's taken time though. It's taken yeah. a lot of time and a lot yeah. of work. Well, we've usually had, we've usually had relationships before then, right? Like before we get to adulthood where people weren't very emotionally available. And so we've sort of, we're in a pattern of trying to connect with people or attach to people. If you talk about an attachment language, um, who are what we'd call avoidantly attached, right? Mm -hmm. So creates insecurely attached adults trying to attach to unavailably unavailable or or avoidantly attached adults and we're just replaying something from mm -hmm. our childhood it's like how do i get daddy's attention how do i get my big brother to notice me and play with me how do i get my mom to come out of her room so that she'll talk to me right like we're we're just replaying stuff um and so i think for for most of us, it's a work that we have to do of like, who am I grabbing at to create an attachment who doesn't have the capacity, doesn't even want to maybe, right? Like that mm -hmm. often happens when people start dating. It's like, you know, I keep dating people who are, who can't commit to me. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's, 
you're <laughs> that's you're a thing. In, you're insecurely attached and you're trying to win over an avoidantly attached person because it will finally prove that you're worth attaching to. Yes. Right. Like it will solve some problem uh, for you. And you know, I remember saying to Katie um in high school, we don't chase boys who can't decide about us, right? That's not who we're that's not who we're interested in pursuing. But it really is. I think so many of us are wired that way of like trying to find the person who will finally prove to us that we're worthy, we're we're valuable. And that's that's a way that we feel like it will happen. Yeah. And if I can change that person's mind, who's so hard to reach and so hard to get, if I could flip that person over to my side, then that will prove something to me yeah. um, that if someone were just standing there very available it, it wouldn't prove it to me somehow. Right. It's it's actually right. quite, it's kind of toxic. It's very toxic, right, you know? Right. I, I think part of this for me, and especially as I look ahead to potentially wanting to be in another relationship someday, one of the things I'm learning about myself that goes along with this is that I can very easily confuse or conflate intensity with intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so, especially in my younger years, like if I get this, intensity hit in a relationship, uh, it it will cause me to think that we are close and that that's actually what intimacy is. And as I'm getting older and more mature, I guess I'm hoping, um, I would like to believe that that will not be my pattern going forward, that I understand what it means to actually be close with someone. But when you're chasing someone that's sort of still deciding about you or you use the word woo, like when you're trying to woo this person, it creates an intensity Mm -hmm. and you get a hit from that because you don't Mm -hmm. often know where you stand with that person. You're always trying to figure it out. And it gives you that emotional hit that keeps you after it. But that's not the same thing as actually being connected and close to someone. And so that's something else I need have needed to learn about myself and needed to try to heal, um, you know, doing work to heal that in myself because the it, it, there might be a short-term hit, but that's not a long-term payoff in terms yeah. of an intimate, close relationship. And as I've said to you before, I like it close. You know, I want to be close. And um, not everyone does, and I understand that. And often, as you said, people will misrepresent they're, oh yeah, I want to be close, but then they don't really, or they're not yeah. capable of that, or they're not interested in that. And so, um, I, I think that that's been an important aha for me in this too. Do you see that like clients who are trading intimacy for intensity? Yeah, for sure. It made me just think about like the bachelor and the bachelorette, right? Like, um, i I'm ashamed to admit that I watch it. I don't know. I can't stop even though it's hideous, <laughs> but one of the things that you regularly see on the show is whoever the contestants are going after the primary person, there are so many of them that will say, I've never felt this way before. This is really special. And I'm like, yeah, you've never had this much competition to win someone over before. So you're mistaking the intensity that you're putting forward, the effort that you're putting forward to get someone to validate you as love it's like well yeah that's not gonna last very long right like it's too layered over with intensity and complexity that's tapping into our unresolved stuff to really be what we'd like it to be which is us falling in love with somebody special Hmm. this episode is brought to you by my new book hope anyway 
welcoming possibility in ourselves, God, and each other. Hope Anyway is now officially available online and in bookstores. You can get it in three different formats, hardback, ebook, and audiobook, which I read to you so you can enjoy that. The book is called Hope Anyway, Welcoming Possibility in Ourselves, God, and Each Other. Now back to our show. So it's so good. And this is like, this is a thing. This is a thing. So what do we do instead? Like, what do you tell your clients? Well, first of all, two things. If you're not in a relationship, but you're looking to get into a relationship that's healthy and doesn't follow this pattern, what do we do? Mm -hmm. If you're already in a long-term committed relationship that has this dynamic at play and you can't just say, I'm not going to just walk out the front door and leave. Are there any ways to mitigate this? Those are probably two separate questions, but I'm very curious what you'd say about either of those scenarios. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is something that's happening all the time, and it's a constant dilemma for people. So on the on the the one question of like when you're dating or trying to explore a new relationship is really pay attention to what someone's behavior is showing you. You know, like Maya Angelou always said, people are showing you who they are. Believe them. Mm-hmm. Like that's the best advice ever on the planet for dating. Is like watch somebody how they interact not only with you, but with people around them, with their family members, all of that, like, what are you seeing? What are the patterns that you're picking up? So you have to sort of get out of just feeling about something and uh, do some observing about like, I'm going to be sort of an investigator and just sort of check out like, how does this person function? Yeah, pay attention to what it feels like to be with them, because that's important. You want attraction to be there and excitement to be there. Those those things are super valuable and necessary, but also like how, what happens when you call, what happens when they're not available? What, you know, like what, what are you noticing? And then instead of overriding what you're noticing, like maybe even write it down and go like, okay, this has happened like five times now. So this isn't just like, he's having a bad day or he was super busy or whatever. It's like, well, this is how he rolls. Okay. Does that work for you? If it doesn't work for you, let it go. Right. But that's, that's hard to do. And I think what's great about, you know, for you, all the hard work that you've been doing, it's like, there's just no way this kind of situation is going to be interesting for you anymore. Hmm. Right. Like, you will see through that in a hot second and you'll just be like, yeah, I'm actually looking for something a little more substantial than you just chasing me around when you feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like the, you just yeah. won't be interested in that. Yeah. Then you and being the, aloof and yeah, like expecting yeah. me to be like entertained by that. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, I don't, I don't scramble. I don't chase boys who can't decide about me. Like I just don't, yeah. I just don't do that. But I wanted to say one thing that you just said, Elaine, because especially as like an Enneagram four or those people that are in the heart triad in the Enneagram or just feelers, the feelers out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is like, it's very simple the way you just said it, but it's really revolutionary to hear it that like, we need to be an investigator and use, put our thinking cap on yeah. and yes, how it feels to be with someone is important, but it's not more important than what right. we're observing and, and like, than what, than what our mind is taking in about them. Yeah. And that is like, how are we not hearing that all the time? Right. 
Well, I mean, our feelings are really important and they drive us so intensely, right? And and I think, especially for some of us, right? For some of us are really driven by our feelings and we need a governor on that, right? Like mm. I would say, feelings are like small children. They have to be supervised, right? Like <laughs> they just, they need to be attended to or they will find the matches and burn down the house. Yes. So... Like we yeah. need, we need to be informed by them. Like, Ooh, I got really excited when so-and-so called me or, Oh my gosh, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm like, I'm feeling a lot of attraction and I'm really excited to get to know this person. Like, great. Yes. Feel that and enjoy that. But then like create some space for the thinking to come in and go, okay, okay, that's great. Check that box. And then what are we observing? What are we seeing? What are the patterns that are emerging? How do I feel about that? Do, would those patterns work for me long term? Is that something I can live with and be comfortable with? Or is that going to drive me nuts? Yeah. And you have a lot of time on the front end to figure that out, which is so helpful. Then the other scenario we we're talking about earlier, where like when you're in the relationship, you're married, you've got kids, this is your mom, this is your dad, you know, whoever, whoever that person is. It's like, well, you can ask for what you want, but then people will or won't give you that. And then you have to decide, what can I do if I decide to stay in a relationship like that? How can I take care of myself since this person is not available to offer much care for me? How do I make sure that I'm getting enough from my friendships and meaningful work and all of that to take care of me. Um, but to let go of continuing to grab at somebody who's like, you know, I think I've said 700 times, I really wish you would be more available to me. And your partner's like, yeah, I, yeah, it's not something I want to do. <laughs> right. They don't right. see it as clearly as that, but their behavior keeps saying, yeah, I'm not that interested in doing that or I'm not able to do that. Yeah. So like, how do we, how do we accept the truth of another person? And if we can go our own way or say, I'm going to stop grabbing at this person to get these needs met because clearly they're not able or willing to do that. And now it's on me that I've been, I'm just going after something that's impossible now. And I, I need to take responsibility for getting that need met somewhere else in some yeah. other way. But that's yeah. hard. That's hard. And that can take years and years to come to terms with. There's a lot of grief in that. A lot of I grief. Yeah. Because we want to believe that ultimately that person will be able to provide those things for us. And when there's a lot of grief and the realization that maybe they can, maybe they can't, maybe they want to, maybe they don't want to. Right. Yeah. I think that's very helpful and it's very real. And I think a lot of the angst that we feel as women can come from these different situations that we find ourselves in. And we just... Yeah, we want to prove somehow to ourselves or that person that we're worth whatever it is that we need proved to ourselves that we're worth. Right. And we believe somehow that that's going to be delivered through their behavior or their attachment to us. And I think that's really what I'm talking about in this chapter is that, um, you know, that the voice saying to me, you're not losing your person, you're finding your person and your person is you. 
And so the questions that are out there remaining about your own worth, about your own dignity, about your own um, enoughness, those are not questions that we're going to ever look to other people to answer for us. We just can't. So we're going to need to do the work on our own to come home to the answers to those questions within ourselves. And then if someone comes along who's awesome, who sees you for who you are, who sees me for who I am, that is great. But I have spent a lot of time in my life looking toward the external for validation. And it does it's not just a spouse. It's It could be a family member. It could be even like the number of books I sell, let's say. Mm -hmm. There's there's been times Mm -hmm. in my life where I've looked at all of these things to provide some evidence of some deeper questions that I needed answered about myself. And that's what I'm trying to say in this chapter is that I think some of that is healing. I think, but what's ironic is that it took what some might see as abandonment or great loss for me to really face this head on in myself. Like what, what do you think about that? Like, isn't that kind of counterintuitive? Well, I think, I think your, your response, like I think the loss of, of your person, the loss of your partner is one thing. And your response to the loss of your partner is a whole different thing. And there's a million ways to respond to the loss of a partner. And you've chosen to, really look at all the things that are coming up for you because of that loss, how how it affected your identity, how it affected how you feel about yourself, like all of these things, like people don't have to face any of that if mm. they don't want to, but you are doing that. You have done that very significantly and thoroughly. And the reason why you are feeling more grounded and more sure of yourself than ever is because of the work you've done, not because you lost your partner, Mm. but because of the work you've done through the losing of your partner. That's good. That's a great distinction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, that's really good. Yeah. And I will tell people listening that are, um, looking to all these different, looking to other women, friendships, looking Mm -hmm. to, I don't know, we look to a thousand different things to get our sense of worth validated and to have, I'm not saying it's perfectly answered for me, but I just feel a huge, um, I feel like a lot of those questions are so, so deeply settled in me that more than they've ever been, what a huge relief it is. It's just a giant relief to not be walking around kind of scanning for your, for your self-worth. Right. Who's going to take care of that? Who's going to take care of that? And yeah, I and I think I think as much as lovely people add to our lives and they buoy us up and they carry us through difficult seasons and we need them 100%, we need them. You know, at four in the morning when you can't sleep and you're struggling with yourself, it's like, well, it's my work to do, right? Like yes. nobody can fix this angst in me. Yeah, I can talk it through. Yeah, I can receive support. Yeah, I can have somebody who knows me say, this is what I see. And that's very helpful. But I also, at the end of the day, it's like, it's my work because the the damage got happened a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And none of these people were there when it happened. They didn't cause it. It's stuff that I got to sort through. It's stuff that I got to invite healing in and find ways to move through my trauma, my stuff that has led to all of that insecurity around who I am. Yes. Yes. 
it makes me think of the chapter that I wrote in Begin Again called Bring Her to Me. Oh, yeah. Just that I that That's same good. idea of like there is that young hurting part of us, that deer in the headlights, little young child inside of us, and that there's nobody else that can save that part of us. We kind of, we, we are the ones we've been waiting for, you know, and that, that nudge from, from God to say, bring her to me. Let's, let's get some healing in that part of your life. Instead of feeling like you've got to carry her around on your back the rest of your life. Um, I love this conversation. I hope it's practical to people listening and that it, Mm -hmm. it helps to provide some freedom and some healing to the people that are listening. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think we don't mean to suggest that you do the work alone, right? Like I just thinking, gosh, I want to make that distinction that I'm, that I'm not suggesting you do the work alone because you can't do the work alone. It's very hard. Um, But it is your work, right? Like it is your work, but you can have a whole crowd to help you move through that work, to support you through that work. Uh, You know, you and I both see the same spiritual director who like, she takes care of all of these things with us. You know, she walks us through this and, it's super helpful to have a wise guide, a therapist, a director, a, you know, whoever in your life is a wise guide to walk through it with you and say, here's the next step maybe to take. Here's something to journal about. Here's something, here's an exercise to try. Here's something that might help move you through that. So yeah, don't try to do it alone. You don't need to do it alone, but you, you do have to, to tackle it, to mm-hmm. tackle it. On your own. Yeah. What I hear you saying is you need to take personal responsibility for your yeah. own work. Yeah. And also that often taking most of the time, always taking personal responsibility for the work that we need to do involves us reaching out to someone who can help us work through that. And, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but we have to take personal responsibility, which is huge, which is where it starts. So I yeah. love that. Yeah. Who are right, you doing friends. it? You're doing Thank it. You. So are you. What? So are what? you. So for the gas tank situation, I'm really on it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I just, it just is like, yes. Yeah. This this is what is happening. This is what's happening, but we're doing it. We're doing but we're it. We're doing it. You know what? Here's what I'm going to say. We're doing what really matters. And if we rip a hose out of a gas tank once in a while. <laughs> so, so be it. it. Be it. You know, we're, we're doing the really important things. You got like, how many babies are you like? 17, at least 17. Yeah, at least 17 babies. There's like a hundred children between the two of us that we're we're helping to keep going. So if we, yeah, if we cause catastrophic damage here and there, it's just part of the collateral of. Send me the bill. (laughs) Send me the bill. (laughs) I love you. I love you too. Thank you for listening. Elaine and I both hope that our conversation today will help you find your footing as you step into the next new moment in your story. You can find Elaine at thesoulcarehouse.com and you can find me, Leanna Tankersley, at leannatankersley.com. We are both active on Instagram and Facebook and would love to meet up with you there. Follow us at Soul Care House and at Leanna Tankersley. Okay, you guys, until next time.